Well, thank you, Michelle, and thank you to Dr. Karshner for um, inviting me here to speak to all of you. Um, it's my pleasure to be um, talking about something that's very, something that I've always been interested in, which are the corridos. Um, as Michelle said, I got my BA in Iowa. Usually the first day of class, I ask my students, where do you think I'm from, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they'll say, Mexico, New Mexico, uh, Spain, Puerto Rico, everything. And then I say, nope, I'm from Iowa. Go Hawks. <laughs> so that's kind of a, a culture shock for them. But even though I did grow up in Iowa, uh, my mom was from Douglas, Arizona. Anybody here from Douglas or familiar with Douglas? Okay, good. And uh, my dad was from Chile. South America. So very interesting combination, uh, Mexican-American, Chilean, born and raised in Iowa. At home, my first language with my parents was Spanish. And uh, so, and it was actually both the Chilean words and the words from Mexico. You know, Mexico say frijoles, in Chile it's porotos. Maiz versus choclo. So I use all of those at home and I would go down to Douglas and talk to my cousins, relatives, aunts and uncles and grandparents, and I say, pasame los, los porotos, and they had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so I'm, in, I'm uh, sensitive to different cultures, different languages, and subtleties within uh, the same um, ethnicity. And anyway, so we would come down to Douglas and visit my grandparents, and my grandfather uh, was a musician back when he was young. He was in a group, and they would go to Bisbee and do the serenatas, and play for weddings and baptisms and things like that. And he would compose corridos. And growing up, every time we'd visit him, um, the family, he would sing La Cárcel de Cananea. He didn't compose that, but you know, all these different, Moro de Cumpas, all these different corridos that I was exposed to that back in Iowa, you know, nobody knew what corridos were. But I was always, that was part of the family, the history um, uh, of my, uh, my particular family. And uh, Tata Rafael, as his name was, he played the accordion, the violin, the piano, the guitar. So all the music is very important in our family as well. And oral history. Um, I remember uh, going to Agua Prieta and buying the tapes, you know, cassette tapes to take back to Iowa to listen to Corridos, to listen to Luis Miguel, to listen to all these different um, musicians and trying to maintain the culture in Iowa where I was the only Latina in elementary, junior high, and high school. So that was wow. tough. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was tough. In high school I became more popular because I could help them with homework Spanish, you know, Spanish <laughs> <laughs> But, um, so this was an interesting movie, wasn't it? Yeah. Very powerful. Um, it talked about lots of issues, not only the corridos, but within the corridos, uh, immigration, migrant workers, the narco corridos, I mean, you've got everything there. And uh, it was very moving and very uh, frustrating sometimes, too. And uh, just as a warm-up, before I go into my presentation, I have a question for all of you. And um, what, in your view, what impact of the narco corridos have had in the community as a whole? What do you think? Are they an important way to share information? Are they a reflection of a certain kind of reality? Are they glorifying drug trafficking? Um, should radio stations uh, be banned from broadcasting narco corridos? What do you think? What kind of impact have the narco corridos had on our community? Yes. I teach in Douglas, and the kids love corridos. I, I guess I have viewed it as like kind of glorifying it, but I'm getting a broader understanding. The corridos or the narco corridos? Narco corridos. That's what they're. And this is the high school. Um, eighth grade. Eight, eighth grade. Wow. And yeah, I mean that's what they aspire to is mm -hmm. not singing about it, but being it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. having so it become a reality. Difficult to teach them and try to say, you know, there's other choices you can make because that's that's what they're. Mm -hmm. So it has their now the heroes. Well, yeah. Who were our heroes when we were growing up? Who was who was your hero or heroine? Um, I was for me, it was more political figures or well-known figures, Mahatma Gandhi and okay. people who did things on a global scale for social justice. Social justice, global scale for social justice, great. You know, actually, a lot of my heroes were 
probably people that slaughtered people in history, military <laughs> leaders, and such uh, cowboys who killed Indians and generals who killed thousands of Germans and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and now uh, I wouldn't like any of that. So yeah, <laughs> just, but that was back then. That was back. Now I can see the other parts to their story. Uh huh. Right. Good. <laughs> so. good. Good. But those were your heroes back then. How yeah. about one more person? Who were? Who was your hero or heroine? Back when you were growing up in eighth grade, let's say. Yes. Well, I, I want to answer that, but not exactly that. Sure. I, when I was up at the University of Arizona, and I finally discovered Vygotsky, you know, I'm Jewish, and my family are, are Russian Jews, and I had never found that Russian Jews were not really very popular, and they apparently do very much. obscure literature. And so I found this, you know, it was so important to me from a cultural perspective to have this fear that everybody was talking about, oh, you know, Vygotsky and this. And, that is my person, that I am my So that's what I think it is. I think that until we have other um, more public visions of other kinds of ways to, be, you know, to, to identify what would be powerful, I think, you know, my guys have something. When I taught third grade mm -hmm. and I would get these shipments of books, my kids would go through them frantically for the covers yeah. of people who might look like them, and then they would discover that really this life could speak to them. So, so that's what I think about the movie was that, you know, it's powerful and it's and it's influential. It and it's a sense of identity and, and our sense of identity changes. Man, I'm five I'm not today the person I was when I was fifteen and you are yeah. too. Yeah. So I think about those kids, you know. I think yeah. you get too worried about this stuff, what it might mean. It doesn't yeah. mean a lot for a, a person who may live about the eighties or something. Right. And look at the the role models within the Latino community. Do we have politicians? Do we have a, a, someone who has been president of the United States? No, not yet. Um, so we have to look at that, role models. Who's, who are we exposed to? And who do we expose our, our children to? Um, going back to my grandfather, he, like I said, composed corridos and he wrote an autobiography about his life. And there are only three copies. It was never published. It, it was typed, you know, in this. This is his handwriting, dedicating the book to my mom, my dad, and myself. I was only one when he wrote it, but it's all typed. Wow. And it's his, his story. He calls it Relato de Mi Vida, the story of my life. And he, when he was about 15 years old, fought in the Mexican Revolution with Pancho Villa. And he has a, a chapter on, on his experiences fighting in the Mexican Revolution. Last it's all in Spanish. Pardon? Last name Garcia. Rafael Alarcón Garcia, down 6th Street. 6th Street. Yeah. My grand, uh, excuse me, my uncle is still there, Ricardo Garcia in Douglas. Okay, yeah. So, um, so it was, we all, like I said, there are only three copies. My parents had one, which is now mine, since they passed away. Um, my grandparents and then my uncle and his family. But it shares all of his experiences um, living in the U.S. He was born in 1900 in Solomonville, which is I think near Safford, Arizona. Yeah, in 1900. So it was when Arizona was still a territory. And uh, um, he worked in, um, in Agua Prieta. Uh, he was a customs officer. He um, was also a custodian in Fort Huachuca. So he's, he had a very rich life coming from El Pueblo. Also migrant worker. My mom was a migrant worker. They worked the fields in um, Texas, here Arizona, California. But he always made sure to bring them back in time for school. And he would save money so they would have pencils and notebooks and paper uh, enough to, to pay for their schooling in elementary, junior high, and high school. Okay, so let's start with the presentation. We can go on to the next uh, slide. So here is a picture of my grandparents, Dolores and Rafael. And so I have a personal and academic interest in studying corridos. And um, my grandfather, as I said, he fought in the Mexican Revolution. Uh, he wrote the autobiography that I just showed you which describes his experiences fighting in the revolution. He was a musician, composed corridos, and performed them professionally, and at home with the family, especially the ones I, I mentioned before. So it's very, part of, very much part of my uh, identity. Okay, next one. And here I am in Douglas, in the backyard, my grandparents' backyard, with my cousin, also Rafael, Jr. 
so as an undergraduate student at the University of Iowa, I guess to be in touch with my heritage since I was growing up in Iowa and my family on my mom's side was in Douglas, Arizona, I did my honors thesis on studying the corrido and it was titled Algunos Problemas Culturales del Southwest Reflejados en el Corrido de Gregorio Cortés. Are you familiar with the Corrido de Gregorio Cortés and how there was a language issue? Right. So uh, I was studying more the, the interpretation, the, the false interpretations that there were. About the, the Corrido de Gregorio Cortés? Okay. This happened in, in Texas, and it was a, a man, and, and he, was, he had a rancho, a ranch, and uh, with horses and uh, all kinds of cattle, etc. So there had been somebody who was stealing the horses. And so the sheriff and his, um, I guess, a partner, they went to Gregorio Cortez's home to question, to ask, to find out about the background, if, if they knew of anything. or. But so they were, Gregorio Cortez and his brother were on the porch when the sheriff arrived um, and they, he started asking them questions. But they, he didn't know Spanish. Gregorio Cortez's family didn't know English. And the interpreter who was with him knew some Spanish, but not too much. He didn't know the cultural um, aspects, perhaps, of, of Spanish and some terminology that's used. Because in English, we say horse. And a horse can be male or female, right? But in Spanish, there are two different words. What are they? Caballo. Caballo and? Yegua. Yegua is a female, the mare, right? And caballo is, is the horse. So um, when they came to Gregorio Cortez's home, at first um, they said, uh, the brother said, te quieren, they want you, right? But it also can mean like you are wanted. Or you're loved, right? But this was depends on the context. In this context, a little more attention. But yeah, it could be interpreted. They want you, or you are wanted. Right. And so the interpreter interpreted that way. You are wanted. So he told the sheriff, um, he knows you're after. That we're after him. You know that kind of message they gave him. So automatically, they're in their own perspective of what's going on, and um, they ask. The sheriff asks the interpreter to ask Gregorio Cortez if uh, he had any horses stolen. And he said, no, tengo una yegua. And the interpreter didn't understand the term yegua. And then he said he was lying. He told the sheriff that he was lying. So then a, a battle broke out, shooting and stuff. And, and the sheriff got uh, shot. And, and Gregorio Cortez's brother got shot and killed. And so he had to flee. And so the, the corrido is basically telling that story and how he had to flee the Texas Rangers and, and basically that's it in a nutshell. All having to do with language. And so I was majoring in languages, so I, that's why I was in music. I love music, so I took both aspects to study the, the ballad of Gregorio Cortez. And I've continued doing research, uh, especially on the soldaderas, because not much in the history books are said about the soldaderas. They, they fought with the, the soldados in Mexico, right? And, and, but they were female. And here's a, I brought a book that's very interesting called The Mexi Mexican Corrido, A Feminist Analysis. And here we have a picture of a soldadera. And I'll be talking more about that in, in the presentation. I also brought this book that's very interesting. It's by Elijah Wald, The Narco Corrido. And it's, it's an analysis of the narco corridos and the history of an influence. Um, okay, let's keep going. So what is a corrido? It is a popular narrative song in poetry form, a ballad. The songs are often about perspectives and concerns about oppression, history of urban and rural working class people in the United States and Mexico. Its characters, events, and themes are representative of the blues and history of local communities in the U.S. and Mexico. They're a folk art form, and they're kind of in between oral history and cultural myth. Uh, this song form has now become the voice of people whose views are rarely heard in the mainstream media. And this we see in other cultures, too, in art forms. Like, um, have you ever seen the, the kind of like tapestries or little mini 3D quilts from South America, from Chile, from Argentina? Have you seen those? They're like bucolic, and they're, yeah. they're countryside. Was that? Uh, yeah, right, right. Well, 
in in Chile, um, you know, the, the women would make these little pieces of tapestries, uh, very pretty images of the countryside and etc. But during um, the the golpe, the Pinochet's dictatorship, they would do the same ones, but instead of scenes of the countryside, they would they did like protest ones, and they were images of their sons and daughters that had disappeared, and they were images of themselves. Little, little people with pictures of their sons and daughters. Donde están mis hijos? Where are my children? Mm -hmm. So it's been traditional to take an art, a folk art, and make it kind of like a protest, a silent protest. And so the corridos are another way of, of doing that too. Okay, we'll go to the next one. So the structure of the corrido. There's a specific structure. Now it's kind of evolved, but this was the way it originated. The singer's initial address to the audience, like kind of like a greeting. Then they tell the location and time, uh, name of the main character that they're going to tell. That's a story, right? The importance of the main character, what's the message, and then the main character's farewell, and also the composer's farewell. He says the, the singer will say goodbye. This is the end of the corrido of such and such. Okay, next one. There's a specific narrative discourse in corridos, and this may include gunfights, social justice issues, betrayed romance, wars, horse races, among others. Sounds like the telenovelas, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and we see different themes. We'll see fate, pursuit, challenge, confrontation, where there's a duel, a battle, defeat, judgment, and farewell, with all the sub-themes within them. So where does the corrido come from? Did you know that it originally came from Spain? From the Romance? Yeah. So the genre of the corrido emerged in the 19th century as it is related to the Spanish Romance. And what is a Romance? It's a brief narrative song form with lines that are generally eight syllables. So the corridos have a specific rhythm too. They're about like eight syllables in the lines. It's episodic, deals with an occurrence or series of occurrences that happened or supposed to have happened. It narrates an event, sings the praises of a hero, or also could express religious sentiments. This is the romance that we're talking about. Okay. Then, uh, so the corrida tradition spans over 200 years, a long time, finding its roots in Spain and the Arab and Judeo-Spanish world. So they were these minstrels who would compose these ballads for the feudal higher-ups, and they would sing them to the commoners. The songs memorialize actual events of ordinary people, just like the corridos do, you know, la gente, el pueblo, and with embellishments for dramatic effect. And they told stories about local events, local people, and reflected the local perspectives. So sometimes the people see the corridos or the romances back then too as a way to get the word out, as a, like an underground newspaper, if you will. So who brought the, the romance? The Spanish conquistadores. They brought them to, to Mexico. And once they came to Mexico, they were known as romance corridos. That was the term. So from romance, it became romance corridos. And corrido, it comes from correr, to run. Okay? And it was, they were done to commemorate the Spanish colonization of Florida in 1745 and the independence of Mexico from Spain for uh, 70 years later. One of the most important scholars uh, who studied, one of the first ones, was Américo Paredes. And he documented that the Romance Corrido, romance corrido uh, now known as a Corrido, went through a decline after the 1848 Mexican War. And then it became popular again with the Mexican Revolution. Okay. And here we have a picture of, who's that? Pancho Villa, right, yes. So as I was telling you, it's uh, also been seen as an underground newspaper. Um, and it was a means to, to way to communicate news throughout Mexico during the, the Mexican Revolution. Things that weren't spread within the newspapers because they said that those were owned by Porfirio Diaz. So only one perspective was let out to the community and not the other side. And so th what they would do is they would distribute the corridos and sheets as propaganda and it was to eulogize leaders, armies, political movements at the times, and to mock the opposition. 
Are you familiar with the artist Jose Guadalupe Posada? Mm -hmm. Yeah. La right, La Catrina, right. Yeah. Now, what did, why did he become famous? Mm -hmm. What was he doing? Social cartoon, uh, he was drawing cartoons about the people that were, um, he was making fun of the right. of Mexico. Kind of, right, Con also mocking the opposition. Yeah. So La Catrina, as you mentioned, you know, a very elegant woman, and with a hat and all the feathers and things, but, um, but she was dead. So basically the message was making fun of the aristocracy, we're all gonna die, everybody's gonna die. Doesn't matter how much money you have, what your social status is, it kind of equalized everybody. This is, uh, we're gonna see this, it's a quick video of a corrido called La Persecución de Pancho Villa. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's uh, sung by Antonio Aguilar. And it has really interesting pictures the Mexican Revolution. one of the corridos. When I hear of corridos growing up too, I immediately thought of the Mexican Revolution corridos. So archetypes. What are archetypes? They're often used in myths and storytelling across cultures. So if we see um, a warrior, we think of strength, right? If we see a, a maternal figure, we, we think of um, uh, children and family. So in the corridos, this is what we see mostly. The hero, the warrior, the soldadera, and this is more during the Mexican Revolution. The migrant worker, the immigrant, it's just like we saw in the movie, right, the crossing the border, and the narcotraficante. Those are the archetypes that we see now in, in corridos. And does anybody recognize who that is? Zapata. Zapata, right. Sola Soledera, this is one of the archetypes. I won't talk about all of them, but this is one of them that I will discuss. And um, so, as we said in history books, they're not really mentioned, the Soledera. They were instrumental during the Mexican Revolution. And here we have Jose Guadalupe Posada, uh, who has drawn La Delita. Who's La Delita? La Delita. Yeah, who is she? Who was she? Representative of the Soledera. 
That's right, Representative de Soldadera, and there's a song called La Delita, and she was a real person. Um, this one, I think her name is Petra Herrera, and she was a soldadera, but she was also a general, generala. So there were some cases where women were generals, and in some cases they were dressed, as, they were women, but dressed as men, and nobody knew that they were men, because they felt that that was the only way they'd be listened to as a general. And then here we have a, a portrayal of the soldaderas con sus soldados by Orozco, the famous Mexican muralist. And here's more of the, the glorified version, the, relation, the love relationship between the two, the soldado and the soldadera. This is usually depicted as la delita. It's not her, but it's representative of a typical soldadera. And I think this image is very powerful with all the, the women with their rifles, if you can see, all the soldaderas. The, the power, and then even young girls here, wow. even children, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go on to the next one. So this book that I showed you earlier by Maria Herrera Sobek, she talks about three types of soldaderas in the corridos. There's the historical dimension, and here we have uh, one of the, Petra Herrera, who was one of the um, soldaderas, very well known, and she's depicted in this corrido, Corrido de las Hazañas del General Lojero y la Toma de Torreón por el Ejército Librador. And here's a little fragment of the actual corrido. This side is in Spanish, the other side is in English. La valiente, valiente Petra Herrera, en el fragor del combate, aunque cayó prisionera, ni se dobla ni se abate. So uh -huh. this is the historical, the true sense, an actual soldadera. Another dimension of uh, soladeras in the corridos is the romanticized version, as you can see here, La Valentina, and very feminine. Okay, so by making the soldadera into a love object, it became problematic for the troubadour, the singer, uh, since he or she had to use a more flexible structure, a more lyrical framework, not that step-by-step -step kind of process that I was telling you about with uh, with the structure of the corridos. Some examples are La Delita, La Valentina, y La Relera. These songs reflect the male-female love relationship in time of war, just like you see in this uh, poster. And here again, I have a, an example of Adelita, a little bit of it in English, in Spanish and English. Si Adelita quisiera ser mi esposa, si Adelita fuera mi mujer, le compraría un vestido de seda para ser la reina de mi cuartel. So see the difference from the previous one, the historical one, to this one, more romanticized, okay? And then the third one is the mythic archetypal, how do you pronounce that, archetypal? Archetypal, okay. <laughs> uh, of the role of the soladera. And do you recognize this actress? Maria Felix. Maria Felix, right. So there, she did a movie called Juana Gallo, which was also um, a corrido. And so she was transformed more as a, as a myth. And uh, the song now bases its narrative on deification, making it like a goddess, and glorification of the soldadera as a legend. So not the historical true soldadera, not the romanticized one, but now like this myth, this legend. And some of the examples are Juana Gallo, La Chamuscada, and La Soldadita. And again, here I have an example of Juana Gallo. Entre ruidos de cañones y metrallas, surgió una historia popular de una joven que apodaban Juana Gallo por ser valiente a no dudar. And then these are just images of, of females uh, singing corridos. But so Maria Felix, in every kind of movie that she did, she became this myth, this legend. And uh, Juana Gallo was her interpretation of a soldadera. Okay. So, uh, are you familiar with Elena Poniatowska, the Mexican author? Okay. She writes about soldaderas, and she said, her quote is, without the soldaderas, there is no Mexican revolution. They kept it alive and fertile like the earth. In fact, they were sent ahead of the troops, of their husbands, their lovers, to go have the campsite, to start to build the fire, to establish everything. So they were the ones, and they would carry the clothes and things. So it was like a team effort. And nobody knew that they were there because they all expected it to be men. But in reality, they were the, the women. 
So here we have another depiction of the three. The historical soladera, the romanticized, and the myth. Okay, so uh, the corridos having to do with the U.S.-Mexico border. In the 30s, the Mexican corrido became commercialized uh, through the radio, film, and it just kind of flourished. And it evolved differently from the corrido in Mexico. Why do you think? Why would the themes be differently, different in Mexico versus U.S. on the border? The social issues are different. The social issues are different, exactly, right. So things having to do with immigration, the tensions between the Anglos and the Mexican-American population, those were the themes, and it's kind of recurring now, currently, right? Uh, so the corrido became a form of cultural resistance. It reflected the tension, the armed resistance related to the conflict between the two, and especially in Texas. And as we talked about before, the Ballad of Gregorio Cortes is a perfect example of the tensions that, that arose during that period. Now, look at this image. Talk about the evolution of, of archetypes. So we have the La Virgen de Guadalupe, but now in what kind of form? La Santa Muerte, right? Which is the saint that the, narco, the narcotraficantes um, adore. So in this movie that we just saw, the filmmaker, Natalia Almada, she says, today corridos tell the news of the illegal drug traffickers and immigrants who in the rural communities are considered not criminals, but rather heroes because they provide necessary jobs and infrastructure and have dispensable income. And we saw that repeatedly with the interviews with the young man that was writing the corrido. You know, he wanted to go out and, and, and make money. He had his friends there who also were very comfortable. They were able to make so much money in one day. Can you see this, the notes, some calaveras, yeah, yeah, okay. So this type of song, it's not exclusively in one country or the other, it's heard in both. It's rhythmic, rhythmic bass, it's danceable, dance, every you saw in the movie how they were dancing the, and the fans were just adoring uh, the music, it's accordion based, polka, and it actually dates back to the first drug smugglers in the 30s. So the narco corrido lyrics uh, refer to particular events that and include real places and dates. And they talk about illegal criminal activities such as murder, torture, racketeering, extortion, drug smuggling, immigration, political protest due to government corruption. And um, have you heard of Los Tigres del Norte? Yeah, They're, and we saw them also in the movie. But the Tigres del Norte wanted to quote something here. So they were one of the first ones also, aside from um, Chalindo Sanchez, they were the ones that really brought the, the corrido, the narco corrido to light. And uh, not only did they do the drug songs, but they also established themselves, I'm gonna read this to you, in the 1980s as Mexico's conscientious corridistas, recording a string of songs about the lives of immigrants in the United States, or as it is known in Mexico, El Otro Lado. Hence the title of the movie. Now they begin a series of political corridos that attack corruption in the Mexican government. First with a hit called El Circo, The Circus, mm -hmm. and then a two CD corrido set uh, in 1997's uh, Jefe de Jefes, Boss of Bosses. Yeah, and so this Jefe de Jefes was like a panoramic portrait of the modern Mexican culture, painting the lives of peasant farmers, successful immigrants, greedy politicians, and all the varied denizens of the drug world in lyrics, full of unpretentious but powerfully moving poetry. And that's why this author, Elijah Wald, when he heard them, that's when he decided to, to study and interview them and, and to really delve into the narco corridos. Right? Oh, there's a question, I'm sorry. Oh, I, uh, yeah, um, I wonder if, uh, Yeah. You know, stuff like that, you know, and uh, or individual families 
mythologize their great uncle who was the great moonshine runner in, I don't know, Kentucky or something. Okay. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yeah, so their And also, um, the opium was grown in Mexico because of the Chinese influence. So that's also, that was part of it too, the drug smuggling, the opium that they, that they grew. But yeah, exactly. So we have it in, 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 this, in the United States as well. Um, okay, so the narcocorridos describe the lives of the poor, the destitute, and those who seek power in a violent manner. And just like, as I read from this book. Okay, go to the next one. So it's a medieval ballad that takes Robin Hood who arms themselves with automatic weapons and fly shipments of cocaine in 747. Okay, so that's the Napo And since the rise of the Tigres del Norte, uh, it's taken up, the Napo have taken up by thousands of bands and singers, as we saw in the movie, in Mexico, in the U.S., in Colombia, in all of Latin America where drugs are thriving. And we also saw how the young composer, the Corridista, was talking about Rosalino Chalino Sanchez and how he personified the underworld gunslinger and corridista. He wrote all these different corridos and albums and became super famous before he was murdered. It was right after a con uh, concert that we saw him singing it. Yeah, in 1992 in Cuyacan. But that kind of exploded, it flourished. It made him even more famous, as one of the guys that they interviewed too said. So he's now considered el rey del corrido. Like uh, Celia Cruz is la reina de, de la salsa, right? So he's the rey del corrido, and everybody wants to imitate him. Uh, this one is a song called El Agricultor by Los Pumas del Norte. Again, Spanish here, English on this side. And this kind of talks, it's a narco corrido, and it talks about how he was a farmer. He still is a farmer, but his seed is, what he's planting is different. So, por ambición al dinero, me metí en el contrabando. No soporté la pobreza, las promesas me cansaron. Me estaba muriendo de hambre y todo por ser honrado. Hoy tengo mucho más dinero y vivo como quería. Sigo siendo agricultor, still a farmer. No más cambié de semilla. So, this is an actual fragment of a, of a narco corrido that's one of the earlier ones. Okay, so today's corridos, and I think Elijah Wald phrases it very well, um, even though he's talking about Napo corridos, but this is about corridos in general today. It provides a street level view of all the surreal juxtapositions of modern Mexico. The extreme poverty and garish wealth. The elaborate courtesy and brutal violence. I mean, so courteous and, and respectful and religious, you know, in some ways, and then just so violent. Um, the corruption and craziness, sincerity and mythologizing, poetry and excitement and romance. So we see this in the corridos of, of today. Okay, so now I have some images of archetypes, and I'd like for you to let's get, enter into a discussion of what you see. So here we have the image of La Virgen de Guadalupe, and she goes through an evolution. You haven't seen this one? Who's the artist? This is a Chicana artist, and I, her name escapes me right now. That's Judith Baca. Yeah, yes. Uh, no, actually, it's not Judith Baca. It's, it's, another, it's another one. I can't remember her name, but similar. So here, this is uh, pertaining to the Chicana movement, being the feminist, taking the tradition, but moving forward, confident. Okay. And then the last one is even taking it further away from its original form, representing La Santa Muerte, which is the, the goddess of, of the narcotraficantes. Usually I see something it's a male, male figure, so this is interesting that it's, you know, a virgin changing to something more. Right. So what's the Cartonera that I refer to? Um, I think that's the, the, actually I don't remember if it's the name of a, a town or the name of a person. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, the, the I remember uh, one time I went to, to visit my uncle and he took, we went for a ride. And, uh, in Agua Prieta, and he took me to the outskirts, and uh, there was a shrine, and he said, why don't you take a look at the shrine? And, you know, we're Catholic, and 
So we go to the shrine. I go into the shrine thinking it's La Virgen de Guadalupe. And it's this La Santa Muerte. And it, I just flipped. It scared me. He just he wanted to shock me. <laughs> and he succeeded about that. But I mean, there is a shrine. And then you see uh, little marijuana cigarettes there, buds and, and candles. I mean, just as if it were a saint, but it's to La Santa Muerte. Yes, it is. Yeah, La Santa Muerte. Well, La Muerte is a is a feminine. Yeah, it's right. But in this case, in el, La Santa Muerte, when you go to a shrine of, of the narcotraficantes, it does look male in figure, but it can be female. And so here, it's basically revisionist myth making, taking an image that we're familiar with and then altering it because, I mean, we see it Dia de los Muertos, the Calaveras, the, the mocking of death, etc. but now kind of comprise and compress into one. Um, based on the last comment, do mm -hmm. you think they're um, confusing the Jose Malverte statue, the man, that they also revere? The not, I don't think they're confusing well, it. It's but I mean, she said it was like more like a male. Oh, oh, no, no, it's actually... Oh, it's a fee, okay, it's like a virgin. Right, it is, okay. this, in this case it's the virgin, but there is a male figure, like you were saying, yeah. Malverde is the bust of the man, yeah. right? Yeah. So then remember the, the young man that was crossing the border, yeah, he had an image of him? Yeah. Right, so, but they're two different things. Yeah. One is a person, and then one is like the, the saint. Okay. Okay, so it's two, but they revere okay. both. Okay. Yeah, good question, thanks for... Like kind of the clarified. ultimate irony. They know they're committing a crime, right. but their faith will still protect them. Right. They're mm -hmm. probably still going to confession. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, the next one. Here's another evolution of archetypes. So here we have La Soldadera, bless you, with her children, but there's the rifle. And what else do you see? The image of the soldadera, but in different variations. What was that? The romanticized version on the right, right? La Adelita. Mm -hmm. More of a female, you know, maybe the a love interest, love object, right? And then here, it's La Adelita again. The legend, perhaps, right? This is the image uh, drawn by Jose Guadalupe Posada, taking real-life people and making them into kind of iconic figures. In this sense, I don't think he was mocking. I think it was more of depicting of the, her importance in society. Okay. And then we have Las Calaveras, which we see in here, especially in the Southwest, but in, in, in Mexico, it's, so, it's such an important aspect of Dia de los Muertos. What's the tradition of the Calaveras de Azúcar? What's the tradition? Of, when do we see them? When? Dia de los Muertos. Dia de los Muertos, but what do we do with it? Are they for the dead? They're for the altar. They're for the altar, and then also exchanging with friends, the, your living friends, not your dead. But it's like exchanging Valentine's Day cards, so you go to the panaderias and you find the calavera and then there's a piece of foil, a shiny foil, and then you look for the name of your friend and then you exchange calaveras. It's just like Valentine's Day cards. But it's again playing with death. It's not being afraid of it. In this country we're afraid of it, you know, Friday the 13th and all these <laughs> gore and stuff, but calaveras is just playing, we're all going to die, we're all going there. It's perhaps the, the influences of Catholicism and also the indigenous beliefs, right? The continuation of, of another uh, step in life. And then we have La Catrina, again by Jose Guadalupe Posada, the aristocrat, but now being mocked. Uh, so, because we're all going to die, we're all human beings. And then now this one in the form of the narco corridos. So what the guns, the hat, the star here, what kind of, what does it convey to you? What message does it give to you? The roots of the Narcocorrido. And then we have a, the map is down here. Just that that pandio lifestyle that you mean I'm, I'm gonna be Right. But doesn't it look like someone from the law? Right. Yeah. 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 
So now it's like flip-flopping. Who's in power now? Right? And then this circle here, perhaps that's the target. You know, and in the background you can't see very well, but it's a map of the southwest of Mexico, perhaps. I can't tell very well. It says Chihuahua. Does it say Chihuahua? Okay, yeah. So it's now taking that and inverting the power, saying we're now in power. Very interesting. Then also taking the tradition yeah, of... That's really what's happening in Mexico with yeah. this, this drug war. Who's, mm -hmm. who's going to be in power? Who's right. going to got more guns? I know. It is, it's terrifying. Yeah. And when I was looking for these images, oh, I saw horrible ones that I didn't want to post, but it was, yeah, violent, violent images. Okay, so, what does it say here? Ya con esta me despido, which is similarly to how the corridos end, right? Saying a farewell. These, this group right here, son los uh, sensontles, which means mockingbirds. And they create, they wrote a corrido that we're going to listen to right now called El Estado de Vergüenza. What do you think? It has a double meaning. Estado de Vergüenza, how would we translate those that, that speak Spanish? State of shame, but it's referring to a particular state in which we live. <laughs> so, and this has uh, subtitles. If you want to turn off the lights, please. Es mi corrido canto yo con mucha pena de la desgracia que ocurrió en la nación. Esta ley que ha pasado en Arizona que legaliza la discriminación por falta del valor moral y fortaleza la migración se niegue a reformar ahora sufrirá la gente que trabaja y las familias separadas seguirán Arizona, estado de vergüenza que has hecho con tu miedo y tu temor en vez de ser famoso por tu hermosura tú tienes fama de racismo y rencor previous speaker was talking about that uh, when there's economic depression there's like racism you see it come to the top and we're now in that period and um, I know I've experienced it, it just I, I'm even carrying my passport with me all the time I was born in Iowa because I'm afraid that I'll be stopped or questioned every time I go to the airport I'm, I'm stopped and you are every single time yeah yeah, and if I'm dressed a certain way and I go to the mall, Dillard's or whatever, if I'm not dressed like this, if I'm wearing jeans and sweats, I'm followed. People follow me, you know. So it's, it's very subtle. When this first thing happened with uh, SB 1070, I was, it was late at night and I had to get something at Target and I, uh, there was hardly anybody around and the clerk was just so rude. There was nobody there to witness it, but she was just so rude to me and speaking to me as if I didn't know English. And she said, you need to use your card here. And, and just her tone with me, and I just, I was, it just really, it's hard to explain because it's not very noticeable, 
um, one has to experience it to know what it is, and and it's it's not it's not fun at all. I, when this again when this thing happened with SB 1070, I was teaching Spanish for Spanish speakers, and they were terrified. They didn't know if they should go to class. What's going to happen? Are there going to is campus police going to be going around the classrooms? Um, they were absolutely terrified. They had their cell phones on. They they were getting receiving texts text messages of family members that there were raids and things. I mean, they, it was just horrible, horrible. So this fear is there. And I, th I thought this was an interesting cartoon. So here we have the Statue of Liberty in Arizona. And it says, I can tell by the color of your skin. Yeah, you're not from around here, are you? And what does the Statue of Liberty represent? What, what, who's right? She's welcoming the immigrants, right? And so, yeah, so it's kind of ironic, right? Um, so do you have any questions for me? Uh, I forgot to tell you, I have a, I passed out a packet, and this packet gives you websites that you can use in your classrooms, having to do with the corridos, for example. This first one, excuse me, Smithsonian Institute exhibition. It's fantastic. It's the www.corridos.org. It gives you lesson plans. It gives you activities of what you can do with students so they can write a corrido, interview people. It's, it's wonderful, and it gives examples of corridos. Um, the Kennedy Center one, there's a website about the, uh, this particular author, the book, Narco uh, Corrido. And then there's a list of corridos mexicanos from all different themes. Then having to do with immigration, you have some websites there, and YouTube. This video that we just saw, Estado de Vergüenza is there, and also the other one that we saw by Tony Aguilar. And then these worksheets I thought you might find helpful for your students, definitions of what corridos are, and then some worksheets of what they can do as in, uh, in class, the form and theme of the traditional Mexican corrido, and then having to do with the Mexican Revolution, political figures, so um, I thought that would be helpful. Um, the Lanchera songs, mm -hmm. How, they're very close in a way to corridos because they tell ballads about families and yeah. farmers and Right, it's more lyrical though, it's that's more true. Lyrical. It's more lyrical and it's not telling stories of specific people, of okay. events that actually occurred. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. more in general, okay. but that's a good point too. Other questions about so, the corrido? I know the corrido kind of has its roots in a folklore, mm -hmm. but do these composers usually follow the structure that you're talking about? They do, about? they, they do. the structure yeah. and, and follow it when that's, they're composing. Right, that's why when we were seeing in the movie, the young man that was composing the corridos, mm -hmm. he was like trying to get the, the beats. Get the stanzas yeah, right. Right, get mm -hmm. the stanzas right, getting the rhyme right. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a poet, uh, poetic form, really. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah except the theme is a little different. Yeah. Any other questions? I hope this kind of gave you some background of the corridos and the evolution and the images. I mean, there, it's, there's a lot to really analyze and see, but just wanted to give you a snippet of the Soladeras, Mexican Revolution, and contemporary times that kind of went with your theme of today in the movie that you saw. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay, thank you.